I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. My name is Tulsi Shaw, and I'm a medical student as well as one of the authors of Crush Step 1. This is part three of the pharmacology and toxicology chapter of Crush Step 1, second edition. Toxicology. When people think of toxicology, they think of poisons. However, the drugs that we use can be poisonous too, usually at higher doses than intended. Toxins can also be environmental exposures such as pesticides or lead. Many of these have antidotes, and an understanding of why each antidote works the way it does is important in treating these patients. Common Drugs in Toxicology Acetaminophen, or Tylenol, is a common analgesic. Recent guidelines recommend no more than 3 grams of acetaminophen daily for fear of liver damage. The reason that acetaminophen hurts the liver is that during its metabolism, a fraction of the drug is turned into a compound that can cross-link and damage proteins called N-acetyl-P-benzoquinoneamine, or NAPQI, or NAPQI, through a phase 1 biotransformation. NAPQI is normally immediately made harmless by conjugation with glutathione. In individuals who either consume a lot of acetaminophen or are alcoholic and have poor nutritional status, this pathway can be overwhelmed and cause liver failure. The treatment is N-acetylcysteine. This regenerates glutathione stores and allows detoxification of the NAPQI. Aspirin, or acetylsalicylic acid, and other salicylates in overdose can cause tinnitus, ringing in the ears, an anion gap metabolic acidosis because it is an acid, and a respiratory alkalosis because aspirin directly stimulates central chemoreceptors and stimulates respiration. Because the drug is an acid, alkalinization of the urine with sodium bicarbonate, which is NaHCO3, will cause ion trapping in the kidney and increase excretion. In children, any administration of aspirin is considered unsafe because it can cause Rye syndrome, which is liver failure and encephalopathy, which potentially can be fatal. An exception to the never give kids aspirin rule is in patients with Kawasaki disease, for which the treatment includes aspirin and intravenous immunoglobulin. Beta-blocker overdose is characterized by hypotension, bradycardia, and first-degree atrioventricular block, as well as possible altered mental status. Treatment is with glucagon, which is not intuitive. Glucagon activates myocardial adenylylcyclase independently of the beta receptor and therefore provides an alternate pathway to stimulate the GS pathway in the face of complete beta blockade. Digoxin is used as a positive inotrope, improving symptoms and congestive heart failure, although it unfortunately does not improve mortality rates. Digoxin works by blocking the sodium-potassium ATPase pump leading to increased myocardial intracellular sodium concentration and therefore preventing use of a sodium-calcium exchanger that normally pumps calcium out of the cell. This inhibition of calcium efflux causes increased calcium concentration in the cell, as seen in figure 7.11. This increased calcium is now available to aid in contraction, 
increasing inotropy. Digoxin has a specific antidote. Fragmented antibodies that bind to digoxin called digoxin-specific FAB antibody fragments. Because digoxin competes for potassium at the sodium-potassium ATPA site, hypokalemia causes more digoxin to bind, which means less potassium competing for binding site and can promote toxicity. Opioid pain medications and heroin are commonly abused and can lead to overdose. Clinical cues are history, presence of track marks on the arms at prior injection sites, meiosis or pinpoint pupils, and respiratory depression because the mu opioid receptor that most opioids use for analgesic effects also can cause significant respiratory depression. Treatment is straightforward. Use an opioid antagonist such as naloxone. Benzodiazepines such as alprazolam or lorazepam are used in the treatment of anxiety, insomnia, seizures, and alcohol withdrawal. They are gamma-aminobutyric acid or GABA agonists. The GABA receptor is found in the central nervous system and when activated causes chloride influx into the cell, which hyperpolarizes it and therefore decreases neuronal excitability and causes sedation and anxiolysis. The treatment is also intuitive. Flumazenil, a GABA antagonist. Caution and treatment of benzodiazepine overdose is warranted because blocking the inhibitory GABA receptors can lead to overexcitation and seizures in some patients. Cyclic antidepressants, or TCAs, such as amitriptyline or nortriptyline, are now rarely used as antidepressants. They have been supplanted by selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, but now find use in treating chronic pain as well as other diseases. Toxicity is characterized by the three C's, cardiotoxicity, convulsions, and coma. TCAs have actions on many receptors, including antihistamine, causing sedation, alpha-1 antagonism, such as hypotension, inhibition of catecholamine reuptake, accounting for its antidepressant efficacy, and sodium channel blockade, important in cardiotoxicity. The treatment is sodium bicarbonate for two reasons. One, it allows for ion trapping of the medication and increased renal excretion, and two, it helps correct the sodium channel blockade of the TCA, preventing cardiac arrhythmias. Heparin is an anticoagulant that is commonly used for patients with deep vein thrombosis, a clot in the deep veins of the leg, or pulmonary embolism, clot in the pulmonary arterial tree, because it prevents new blood clots from forming. It can also be used to prevent clot formation in patients who are at risk. Heparin activates antithrombin, which in turn inactivates thrombin, factor 2A and factor 10A. Supertherapeutic doses of heparin can lead to uncontrolled bleeding. Protamine sulfate binds to heparin and is the antidote. Warfarin is an oral anticoagulant that blocks vitamin K epoxide reductase to prevent the liver synthesis of the vitamin K-dependent clotting factors 2, 7, 9, 10, C, and S. Because warfarin prevents synthesis of clotting factors rather than blocking existing ones, the onset of action is delayed, and this is one reason that patients started on warfarin need to be bridged by being started on heparin first to give immediate anticoagulation. There is also a transient phase of warfarin that makes patients hypercoagulable, which is discussed in Chapter 11. Although giving vitamin K would treat an overdose, it would take hours to days to replenish all of the clotting factors by synthesizing new ones, so fresh frozen plasma, or FFP, or prothrombin complex concentrate 
which has donor clotting factors, is given for immediate reversal. Tissue plasminogen activator, or TPA, a thrombolytic, is used for active breakdown of blood clots, unlike warfarin and heparin, which prevent formation of new clot. It does this by turning the body's inactive plasminogen into active plasmin, which is the body's own natural pathway for breaking down clots. This is used acutely in ischemic stroke, myocardial infarction, and massive pulmonary embolism. In contrast, aminocaproic acid binds competitively to plasminogen, preventing transformation into active plasmin and is therefore the antidote. Heavy metal toxicity. Iron is widely available as a supplement for individuals with iron deficiency anemia. Most of the overdoses occur in children accidentally taking someone else's iron because the pills are often colorful and sugar-coated. Iron, although important in the synthesis of hemoglobin and other enzymes, also is a potent catalyst for free radical formation. Overdose can cause high amounts of free radical formation in the intestines where the iron is passing through and cause damage to the intestines, leading to mucosal ulceration, GI bleeding, diarrhea, and vomiting. Normally when the body has surplus iron, intestinal absorption of iron is inhibited. When the intestines become damaged, iron can enter in the bloodstream unimpeded and can cause mitochondrial damage and subsequent lactic acidosis, as well as liver damage from the high amounts of iron entering the liver through the portal vein. The treatment of iron overdose is deferoxamine, an iron chelating agent. Mnemonic, treat FE or iron overdose with deferoxamine. Lead is a heavy metal that used to cause numerous cases of lead poisoning because of lead-based paint. Patient history will usually describe an old house built before 1974 when lead paint use was stopped. The mechanism of lead toxicity is complex, but in general, it interferes with a multitude of enzymes, especially gamma-aminolavulinic acid dehydratase, leading to a buildup of aminolavulinic acid and ferrochilatase, which both are important in heme synthesis, leading to a microcytic anemia. The buildup of aminolavulinic acid leads to increased vessel permeability, cerebral edema, and encephalopathy. Interference with ribonuclease leads to persistent ribosomes in the red blood cells that are made, leading to basophilic stippling, seen in figure 7.12, on a peripheral blood smear. There are many treatments for lead poisoning, including dimercaparol, previously known as British anti-leucocyte, or BAL, CAEDTA, sexamer, and penicillamine. A common mnemonic, when kids suck on lead paint chips, they get sexamer. Dimercaparol and sexamer are also effective in treating mercury, arsenic, and gold toxicity. A way to remember this is a British... BAL dimercaprol reading a magazine, mercury arsenic gold, that sucks for succimer. Copper is only rarely ingested as an overdose, but those with Wilson disease, also known as hepatolenticular degeneration for the damage it does to the liver and the lenticular nucleus of the brain, have an inability to excrete copper. The treatment is penicillamine, which chelates copper. Environmental Exposures Carbon monoxide, or CO, is a colorless and odorless gas, a byproduct of combustion, and toxicity is either intentional 
i.e. a suicide attempt by leaving a running car in a closed garage, or unintentional, i.e. using combustion as a means of heating a cold house in winter, thinking it's a good idea to barbecue indoors. CO has an affinity for hemoglobin more than 200 times greater than that of oxygen, causing carbon monoxide to take up spots on hemoglobin that should be taken up by oxygen, leading in turn to hypoxia and relative anemia. Not that there is too little hemoglobin, it's just occupied by carbon monoxide. History is usually suggestive and symptoms include headache, vomiting, and confusion. Treatment is to outcompete the carbon monoxide with as much oxygen as possible, either 100% oxygen or hyperbaric oxygen. Cyanide, CN-, in addition to being a means of murder in movies, is also released when synthetic materials are burned, and therefore a house fire could cause not only carbon monoxide poisoning, but also cyanide poisoning. The antihypertensive medication nitroprusside has cyanide as part of its molecular structure and can cause cyanide poisoning as well. Cyanide binds highly to cytochrome oxidase in the mitochondria, halting the electron transport chain and stopping adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, production. Anxiety, palpitations, dyspnea, and headache are common symptoms. Treatment is two-step. One, administer nitrites, such as amyl nitrite inhaled or sodium nitrite IV, to oxidize hemoglobin, Fe2+, to methemoglobin, Fe3+, which avidly binds cyanide, helping steer it away from the mitochondria where it is poisonous. And two, administer sodium thiosulfate, which changes cyanide to thiocyanate, a less toxic substance that is excreted by the kidneys. An alternative therapy is giving a form of vitamin B12, hydroxycobalamin, because the cobalt can bind cyanide. Methemoglobinemia occurs when the Fe2 plus in hemoglobin is oxidized to Fe3 plus by oxidizing agents. This form cannot carry and deliver oxygen to the peripheral tissues. Common precipitating agents include sulfa drugs, local anesthetics such as benzocaine, and of course nitrates, as described earlier for the treatment of cyanide poisoning. Methemoglobin can be treated with methylene blue. Methylene blue is a potent reducing agent that changes the Fe3 plus back into Fe2 plus. Organophosphate poisoning is common in farm areas. The pesticides can be an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor and with exposure can cause symptoms of excessive cholinergic activation called sludge syndrome, a mnemonic toxidrome characterized by salivation, lacrimation, urination, defecation, gastrointestinal upset, and emesis. The organophosphates phosphorylate acetylcholinesterase, leading to irreversible inhibition of the enzyme. However, there is a window period during which a medication called pralidoxime can be given, which can detach the organophosphate from the receptor. However, this is time-dependent, and after hours have passed, the pralidoxime will no longer be able to unbind the organophosphate because a process called aging has occurred and the bond is unbreakable. Because the problem is overactive cholinergic signaling, the supportive treatment is an antagonist. Atropine is a muscarinic antagonist that reverses the symptoms of overactive cholinergic drive. It does not, however, do anything to prevent the overactive acetylcholine at nicotinic receptors of the somatic nervous system, so it cannot treat the muscle weakness. Atropine, described earlier, is a muscarinic antagonist. 
too much atropine or other anticholinergics will cause symptoms consistent with shutting down the effects of acetylcholine at muscarinic receptors. The common way to remember these is hot as a hair, no sweating, dry as a bone, no sweating, no salivation, no urination, red as a beet, cutaneous vasodilation, blind as a bat, mydriasis, and mad as a hatter, disorientation. Treatment is the opposite of that described for organophosphate poisoning. Administer an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that is reversible, such as physostigmine. Ethanol, methanol, and ethylene glycol. Ethanol, methanol, and ethylene glycol are all metabolized by the same enzymatic pathway, but with different substrates at each step, causing different clinical symptoms, as seen in figure 7.13. Ethanol is the most common ingestion of the three. It is metabolized by alcohol dehydrogenase into acetaldehyde and then by acetaldehyde dehydrogenase to acetate. Disulfiram, a medication created to prevent alcohol abuse, blocks acetaldehyde dehydrogenase to cause a buildup of acetaldehyde while drinking. This leads to unpleasant side effects such as flushed skin, tachycardia, and nausea and vomiting. Some antibiotics such as metronidazole are said to have a disulfiram-like reaction because drinking alcohol while taking these antibiotics leads to similar symptoms as taking disulfiram. Also, the red flushing that some individuals, especially of Asian descent, experience while drinking alcohol is due to decreased acetaldehyde dehydrogenase activity. Methanol, found in windshield washer fluid and photocopying fluid, is highly toxic when ingested because of formaldehyde generation, the same stuff used to embalm your cadavers in anatomy laboratory, by alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme activity and formic acid generation from aldehyde dehydrogenase activity. Formic acid binds to cytochrome oxidase and blocks the electron transport chain, leading to lactic acidosis. Formic acid also causes optic nerve damage and retinal damage, leading to permanent blindness. Because disulfiram only inhibits acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, it would be ineffective in treatment. An antagonist such as fomepazole at the alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme must be used. Before fomepazole, physicians administered ethanol to compete for the alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme. Ethylene glycol is found in antifreeze and tastes sweet, making it appealing to children to drink. Again, like with methanol, the metabolism of the substance results in damaging byproducts. Oxalic acid is produced by alcohol dehydrogenase. Oxalic acid avidly binds calcium, leading to hypocalcemia and precipitation of calcium oxalate crystals in the urine and kidneys, leading to stone formation and renal damage, respectively. The classic findings are metabolic acidosis, as with methanol poisoning, altered mental status, and renal failure from calcium precipitation. Treatment is similar to methanol poisoning in that fomepazole is used because toxic products are formed by alcohol dehydrogenase, which fomepazole inhibits. This is the end of the final part of the pharmacology and toxicology chapter. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.